Dotnet Rocks episode 904, with guests Kate Agnew, Cynthia Thomas, Heather Corallo, and Kendra Little. Recorded live Monday, August 12th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Windows Azure, who wants you as an MSDN subscriber to activate your Windows Azure credits and start building your own dev test environment in the cloud. Activate before September 30th for a chance to win a 2013 Aston Martin V8 Vantage sports car. Go to dotnetrocks.com slash Azure to enter and win. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Wisconsin, it's Dotnet Rocks! Wow. Wow, that was Beth Massey that did that woo. Did you hear that? <laughs> that was from the gut. We are, we are at that conference in Wisconsin Dells. We are. And we're uh, hosting a panel on women in technology, which will, uh, is a, we just saw this great video. But before we talk about it, let's do the standard stuff. Yep. The Better Know Framework. Music. Roll it. And the real gag is we never hear the music yeah. when we're recording the Every, show. Everyone, we, we, we just sit there for a minute, and, just, and then we, we just, just pick it back up bop again. up, yeah, you know, like, like we're... If you ever wondered. All right, buddy, what do you got? All right, well, today I actually don't have something to, like, a class or anything, but I do have a joke. Is that okay? Because I figure, you know, it's a conference. We're in the entertainment business here. All right. What's the joke? So uh, a developer's husband asks her to go to the store for a gallon of milk, and uh, as she's walking out, uh, he says, if they have eggs, get six. Okay. So developer, she comes back, you know, a little while later with six gallons of milk. And he says, what, what, why do you have six gallons of milk? And she says, well, they had eggs. <laughs> That's a good joke. Thanks. Nice. So Richard... <laughs> Who's talking to us, man? I <laughs> uh, grabbed a comment off of show 868, and that is the one we did with uh, Llewellyn Falco and Lynn Langett, where we talked about teaching kids to program. Right. And this comment is from Ross T., who says, Hey, guys, long-time caller, first-time listener. As a kid, I picked up a few of my old dad's old programming books as my introduction to programming. In grade school, Turbo Pascal and Cobol were not my cup of tea. But fast forwarding to college, I remember telling my dad about finally using Visual Studio 6, that would have meant VB, and loving it. And he used it in those days as well. It was a real, where have you been all my life moment. <laughs> a dozen years later, I'm still a .NET developer, and it's great to hear that the complexity of the Visual Studio interface is not a barrier to those wanting to teach it to kids. You got to hook them when they're young. Well said. And yeah. absolutely true. And, and it's interesting, the tools that are built around it, because... You know, right. we did a whole show on the complexity of development today, yeah. many, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's good to package it up. Ross, thanks so much for your comments. I really appreciate them. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a mug, 
You can get one by writing a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We make them for Android, iOS, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that fine app was made by Diatom Enterprises. We'd like to make you an app, too. All right. And before we get started, I need to tell you that Pluralsight uh, offers hardcore developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore classes developed by MVPs and industry experts. They release about 40 to 45 classes a month, offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their vast library. Topics uh, it run the gamut from iOS, Android, web development, Java, uh, pretty much anything and everything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start just $29 a month. And with that, let us give a warm round of applause for our panelists. I am Kate Agnew. I am the Managing Director of Girls in Tech in Minneapolis. And I work at Target in my spare time. Just on the side, huh? Yeah, it's like a side dig, like a daytime thing. It's a, it's a thing. Cindy. Hi, I am Cindy Thomas, and I am the Director of Peer uh, Mentoring for the Girls in Tech chapter in Milwaukee. And I own a couple businesses, actually, in Milwaukee as well. Heather? Hi, I'm Heather Corallo. I'm the Senior Staffing Manager for Engineering for Groupon, and uh, I'm a big-time supporter for all of our meetup groups in Chicago, including Girls in Tech and uh, Girl Black Girls Code. Awesome. Kendra? Hi, I'm Kendra Little, and I'm a co-founder of Rentos Are Unlimited, which is a small consulting company, and I work a lot with women in technology who work in databases. Because you're a database person, too, I happen to know. I am a database I'm person. I'm lucky that way. Uh, I got to say, I was totally blown away by that video. It was one of the most positive, intelligent things I've ever seen talking about women in tech. Um, yeah, please applaud for that. <laughs> and we do have a microphone down on the floor, so anybody who wants to ask a question, absolutely ask a question. Uh, we will put those uh, that video in the show notes because it's freely available on the web. Anybody can let, watch it. It's on. Uh, it comes through via Vimeo. Kate, where did this thing come from? That's a great question. Uh, it was a documentary that was produced by students at Stanford. And I first got wind of it back in Minneapolis. Um, I think it was through Twitter, actually, that I saw it. And we hosted a similar session to this in Minneapolis. And we got such a great turnout of men that brought their daughters and families that came together. And it was just such a positive experience that it was something that I wanted to continue to share with people that are interested in technology. Awesome. So I think the thing that caught me the strongest was the... the and maybe it's undermining the overall conversation, but this idea that there's so many women undergraduates, but so few going into comp sci. And at the same time, we have this unbelievable shortage of engineers. I think one of the interesting things is it's actually declining the number of women that are graduating with computer science majors. So if you look back to 1980s, probably the late 1980s, I'm not really sure of the exact year, um, but you'll see that there were more women graduating with computer science majors back then. Um, so I think the question comes up, why has that changed? Why are fewer women now in the technology era graduating with these degrees? Well, I think it's really interesting um, with that. I think it's a, it's a, it's a case of the cycle and, and what happens. I mean, we've all heard the, the term, especially women, you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, as any kind of decline when there's so few role models, 
um, in a field and, and you know that where where girls are growing up where their moms are computer scientists and that just it, it, it's a bad cycle and so it, it increasingly decreases and so you know I think one of the interesting things for me because this was the first time I saw the video actually um, was how open uh, the women were about talking about the stereotypes and I think that's a really really important discussion to have and to foster um, because I know just with working with the group uh, Girls in Tech in Milwaukee we started just in June and the outpouring of interest and support um, with just one or two meetings has been unbelievable and over and over we hear kind of the same thing it's there are those stereotypes but because there's not groups of people or women um, working in the same place or a support group around it um, that topic doesn't get discussed. And the more it doesn't get discussed, um, the more it becomes a black cloud and has a bigger influence than we want it to have. Cindy, maybe you can answer this question. Maybe some of the other panels can also. Has the proportion of women to men computer scientists uh, majors gone down, or has the entire um, field, in America anyway, decreased sharply, or both? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that stat, but I think, you know, there was an article that was just uh, released that I read kind of the same stat about how from the 1980s till today, there has been a stark decrease in women graduating in computer science, when in all, in, you know, most other fields, it's a, it's a increase. And so... It, and there has been a stark de uh, decrease in all computer science, not, you know, not just women. But so that I wonder what the ratio is. Yeah, that yeah. I'm not sure on. I don't know what the ratio is, but as someone who's sort of watching the staffing trends and recruiting trends for technology companies, I see a lot of alternative education coming into play now. Mm. Uh, I think people are starting to code earlier and it's easier for people to become, to get those skills outside of a traditional CS degree. Yeah. And so from an educational standpoint, people aren't necessarily going to uh, Stanford for CS or University of Wisconsin for CS, but they're going to Code Academy and Dev Bootcamp and going straight to work because they have apps that they're selling on right. Apple Store. Is there, so is there a critical age where, um, where young girls can, can either be made or broken, you know, in terms of, uh, solidifying their interest in it? Um, that, that if you, you know, get them at that age, then, uh, get them interested. Uh, the, the, I, I think that the interest is innately there. I think what happens is that it, it doesn't get fostered or it's positioned in such a way where it's a big deal that yeah. they're interested in it, which turns kids in general off. Right. Um, so one of the things that we have found and we've talked about is, you know, not even mentioning computer science as the field. I mean, kids today right. have technology in their hands all day long. Right. It's part of their life. What message isn't there is that they can help build it. It doesn't matter what the degree is right. or what the, you know, the training is or anything else. The message to them should be, yeah, you know, that Facebook and, and Instagram and, you know, website that you love or the video games that you're spending all of your days playing. Mm. Um, somebody has to build those and, you know, taking some of the, we, we heard there's a stigma around computer science for whatever reason that is, especially for girls. So if we can take that off, 
Um, very early is when I think that needs to happen. And is then it a peer thing, it. you think? Um, or is it the way that their peer, that they uh, imagine their peers see them or their parents or? I think that there definitely is. I was reading an article, and I can send you the link because I don't have the, the website in my head. Um, but there was a story of a, a woman whose daughter competed in the science fair and was told by one of her first grade peers, who was a, a boy, that she shouldn't be there because girls can't do science. And this wow. was something that was repeated by a first grader and that the first grader felt and knew and was shared among these classrooms. Wow. And I think that that feeling and effect on other people is really what influences it. Mm -hmm. Kendra, I mean, you're working in the field. You're a DBA. We try not to hold it against you. When did you get into this? <laughs> I, I have a degree in philosophy, which is not a very practical degree. I do not have a degree in computer science. Near as I can tell, the only thing you can do with a philosophy degree is teach philosophy. <laughs> yeah, well, you can also be very contemplative. <laughs> about, uh, yeah, I about think your lack deeply. of a job when you get a philosophy degree too. The, the interesting thing about the database world is we have people who write a lot of code to work with databases and we have people who don't write a lot of code. But now this is not a very official metric, but I will tell you that when I go to a lot of conferences for database related topics, I have to wait in line at the bathroom because the women's bathroom has a lot of women in it. I'm not saying that there's more women than men at the conference. I'm not saying I would actually like to see even more women at the conference. But there is a line at the bathroom, which I think is a good sign. There's a lot of women at the conference. When I work with clients to help them make their SQL Server faster, when there are women on the team, more often than not, the women are in a position on the team that's related to working with data. Hmm. Sometimes they're software engineers who aren't the data specialists, but more often than not, they are the DBA. And hmm. my theory about why this happens is that there is no degree for database administration True. or database tuning. You get it's into not that it they're into the relationships. No, I'm just. I don't Come think on, it's related was... to foreign keys. Yeah, I don't think it's because of foreign keys, but that's a good theory. Foreign keys. Um, yeah. My theory is that you get into this because of an aptitude and because you you find that you're good at it. So when people are looking at hiring database administrators and database tuners these days, it's very hard to do because there's a lack of people who know anything about it. What I tell them is, look at your help desk people. Look at your people who know your application who can grow. Look at smart people who you can you can hire. And that's that's where people find good database administrations. And I think that's how and administrators, I think that's how women get into it more and more. So when it comes to computer science in general, my question is, how can we break down this idea you have to have a traditional degree to do this. How can we not only get girls from school to be interested in this and maybe even skip part of what's supposed to be the right track to it, but how can we get people later in life to say, you know, hey, I could do that, right? Because there's plenty of jobs. There's no lack of jobs. Right. And you don't have to be 18 years old to, to learn how to program. I have two daughters. I have four daughters. I have two natural and two bonus daughters. But... <laughs> Um, my two natural daughters, all, they, they seem to think that, you know, the jobs will just be out there. And, you know, I don't really need to think about that too much, you know. And the little one especially, you know, just all focused on what, what I want to do and not necessarily, they don't really understand, you know, the, the way life is going to come at them. I just wonder if that's a generational thing, not a girl. I, no, I think it is a generational yeah. thing. Yeah. And how they're influenced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think that the comp sci degree is pretty old. You know, it's not a lot of computing science these days. We really need to be more focused on the engineering. I, I think the classes are sort of out of date anyway. You know, we still need some computer scientists, but we really want more engineers. 
But I don't see we're graduating a lot of, of women engineers either. You know, STEM as a whole is a problem. And I think that, you know, even you talked specifically around database fields, but um, in our group, that has been a prevailing story from the women in the group, too, that they started out in different degrees and, you know, with uh, different backgrounds and, and different training and found their introduction to coding or hardcore IT or database or any of that other kind of stuff on site at different jobs, just given opportunities and have moved into it that way as well. And I think that, yes, definitely targeting our youth is, is, is one important part. Um, but recognizing that there are opportunities even for women in other fields. Um, again, it is, it, it's, it's a talent. Um, that can be applied, you know, the skills are derived from so many different experiences that you have that you can apply to these different areas. And I think that's something to look at as well. I know we're focusing a lot on the computer science aspect of it, but I think that the technology industry in general is not as inviting to women or has as much of a, a stake in the game. Women don't have as much of a stake in the game. Um, and so it, Yes, computer science is a, a part of it, but there is something larger at play uh, rather than just needing to encourage girls at that, that schooling age. I don't know what that is, but that's what I'm here to talk about. And it's, it's a great question because I think the STEM as a whole is down declining gender irrespective, and, uh, and that's a problem. But uh, I found it one of the interesting statements in the video that really jumped out of me is this idea that uh, when a female gets a bad grade, they blame themselves. And when a male gives a bad grade, they blame the class. I, I don't know what you do about that. That's an interesting problem. I think a bigger, well, at least as big of a problem is when you see t-shirts for little girls that say, I want to be a princess, a perfect shopper, good at math. And then in parentheses underneath the good at math, it says, well, everybody can't be perfect. What are we teaching you seen our kids that? when we put that, that on them or when we allow them to think that they don't, they, sh they can be good at this one thing that's very pigeonholed and not have to worry about this other thing that only boys should get to be good at. I, I think that, you know, those are the things that we really need to start really talking about and addressing and saying it's not okay anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. We see it in the media all of the time and when you see it on your, on an eight-year-old girl's t-shirt, you're like, wow, that's why she's not going into CS. I want to know how that got approved in that company. I, I We had a discussion about that, and it was like, well, it is, it's obvious that there was not one woman in that chain of command. That I want to know how it got that. bought. <laughs> what were the parents thinking? Like, they how just did you launched buy that it. shirt? It was the children's place, and they just they just launched that line. It's not the first one, though. I know JCPenney had one that yeah. I think just said math is hard. And it was for females. You see pictures taken in hospitals where there are little onesies for boys and girls, pink and blue. Um, the pink one says future nurse and the blue one says future doctor. <laughs> wow. Have I, you, I think the, the, the first thing is awareness. I mean, I think that screenings like this and getting together and discussing like groups like Girls in Tech and... Um, it all really just starts with awareness because once you hear stuff like this and the perceptions that women and, and the struggles that they're going through and, you know, things like T-shirts being launched with those types of things, it's hard not to see it clearer. 
um, in everyday life. And when you can see it more clearly, there's more actions that you can take against it. Well, one of the things I liked about this video, and do we even mention the name of it? I mean, we'll put a link on the website, yeah. but it's the She++ <laughs> documentary. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, what it is how many success stories that you, they, it was very positive, as Richard said, very positive video. And, uh, you know, I can think of some off the top of my head, like Danica McKellar, who wrote, who was Winnie Cooper on The Wonder Years and wrote a great book called Math Doesn't Suck. You know this? Have, has anybody oh, read yeah, the book? Oh, yeah, she has a series of books for, about math, and I follow her on Twitter. Oh, very good. So what age group are these books aimed at? They're younger, aren't they? Like middle school, elementary school type yeah. books, I think. Yeah. Um, and there was actually a, a Kickstarter that, actually I'm not sure if it was Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but one of those crowdfunding campaigns that was done by a student at Stanford in computer science where she was writing a fiction novel about computer science and technology for girls. So it's a book that she just got funded wow. and will be publishing. Um, and it's supposed to be one of those, you know, books that any teenager would read, but introduces the idea of technology and makes it approachable and friendly and inspiring. So I think that as we get more and more of those medias out there, I, yeah. it's going to improve. I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm just concerned that the numbers are actually down, but I, I've also felt like the social consciousness around this has gotten strong in the past two years. Has it gotten better? Do you feel like it's been better? That's a tough one. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while for change to happen. I, I feel that even over the last two years, the, the conferences that I've gone to or the technology events, even within the Twin Cities, has changed. Um, I think it was Kendra that was saying, um, there's a line at the women's bathroom. And a couple of years ago, I'd go to tech events, and there was not a line. Mm -hmm. So even that there's a line in the women's bathroom is something that's celebrated, I think is something that's pretty telling about the industry. Um, so yeah, there's an improvement, but we're not there yet. My hope is that employers start to get more creative. And this says, you know, in terms of what you were saying about the grades, my hope is actually a more general one. In recent news, reportedly, Google has stopped considering GPA for its applicants in general. It's just not something that they work into their metrics on who is a good candidate as much. And my hope is that more and more employers make statements like that about what means that someone is talented. Is it more than just a grade point average or how you were judged in an individual course? Is it how you solve problems? How you are passionate about building things? If we can have more employers saying what they value in potential employees and why that is, then I think that will start attracting different types of employees as well, which I think would be a more inclusive in general thing than just kind of looking at well, how did you do on your GPA? That's my hope in general. Well, I that. think we're starting to realize that those metrics suck for figuring <laughs> out how well somebody's going to work together. Yeah. I'm far more interested in somebody's ability to work in my team than any given skill. If you're excited and interested in, and can work well in my team, we can teach you everything else. Mm -hmm. Passion, you can't teach. Skills, you can. Yeah, basic skills have to be there, but certainly somebody who can learn and pick up things quickly is a... Is a Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? It must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. 
This is everything that Telerik does in one box. You, you guys have heard of Telerik, right? No. <laughs> All right. Well, they, uh, they've been a sponsor of .NET Rocks for a long time. Uh, our winner today is Abraham Locke. So let's give it up for Abraham Locke. How can you get one of these wonderful things? Well, just become a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and uh, you could be a member. We have thousands of members. Every show we give away uh, a DevCraft Complete Collection, and every December we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. We did it last year. It was Rob Corbett. Rob he Corbett. selected a... Uh, PC system for doing development for mobile, gesture, and touch. And we built it out with a connect and a touch screen, and it was awesome. We like to ask our guests, but I don't want to spend too much time on this because there's four of you. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? Anyone? Uh, mine would be something within the augmented reality realm. Um, I'm a big fan of Ingress. So I don't know if anyone else here plays that. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping to integrate that with Google Glass or something that I could yeah. wear so I don't have to deplete my phone battery as nice. I play. Oh, an Ingress player. We'll talk later. That's a whole <laughs> other thing. Or oh, the <laughs> Oculus VR goggles would be pretty epic for that as well. Good gadget. Any Anyone toys else? you're looking for, uh, Sydney? I would hire a woman in tech to work for me for a month. Ah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you're paying pretty well at five grand. Yes. Nice. Yeah. I would spend it all on time in the cloud to use to performance test. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. Or Sessie. Got one, Heather? I'm going to go with that. I'm going to hire a woman in tech. For hire life. more women right. in tech. I'm going to do Love that it. with my factory. <laughs> what are some other resources that are out there for people who, uh, you know, so like I have an 11-year-old daughter, as I said, and, and she is actually very good at math. And I feel that that's like a critical age. You know, she's... Uh, She's just going into um, into middle school and uh, for the first time, and and I think that that's like where the pressure is really, you know, they're forming their self identity and stuff, and the peer pressure is really high, and uh, you know, having teachers that can encourage them and having role models and things. What are some resources for parents like me who uh, who want to encourage their kids? So in the Twin Cities, we're working on putting together a mentorship program for that reason specifically. Um, it is so helpful to see those role models in industries that you previously hadn't known of or wouldn't have thought of. Um, so first and foremost, yes, mentorship. Um, but I also think just connecting them with their peers that may have those similar interests so that they know that they're not alone or they have that other encouragement. Um, so when I was in elementary school, I joined the like Lego League where we did the little robots. Um, so I think that's definitely helped me woo, join into the technology field. All right. And if they, there isn't a Lego League, maybe we could start one. There you go. Right. Are you still basically alone in the workforce when you're a, a woman in tech? Are you the only one in your office? So I work at Target, and we have a, a female CIO, which is super fantastic. Um, I would actually say that there it, it's close to the 50-50 ratio. Hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's because that's a retailer or, you know, a, a number of other reasons. They're very inclusive with their culture. Um, so we have this program called Twist, which is target women in science and technology. Um, so they do a lot of that encouragement. I didn't realize there was the stark contrast in 
uh, the number of women in technology until I got out of Target and I started going to conferences. Yeah, I mean, my co company's fairly small. There's only four of us. Three of us are women, but that's all right. Um, and in the work that we do is very, um, both in the creative industry and the technology industry. And it's interesting because the same issues are there more at the leadership level. There's only 3% of all creative directors in the country that are women. Um, and so you kind of put those two areas together and you've got some, some real issues to overcome. So I do see it on an everyday basis. Same with we're very involved in the startup community in Milwaukee. And the number of women-owned startups is probably as small as the women, you know, ratio-wise um, in any kind of tech fields and probably even more so. So there's some work to, to be Well, done. creative director especially, because that's not necessarily technology. No, and I'm just saying, like, there's there's parallels in, in other industries sure. like that where these issues are kind of fought, if you will. So for Groupon, I think, you know, if you look at the company as a whole, we're actually pretty successful at, at being balanced when it comes to our, our total population. I think we're about 46% female, which is on average, it's it's pretty much right there with the rest of larger corporations. But as you, as you start to kind of move down the line of departments towards engineering and IT, that number gets significantly smaller. And if you move up the ladder as far as seniority, that number uh, and that percentage also goes down substantially. So, you know, I don't think that a lot of the women on the engineering teams are the only chick on a given team, but we're like, we're two, we're three, and then we got to spread them out because we, I don't want one woman to be by herself on one team. So I, I think that, you know, something that a lot of uh, engineering organizations are doing is putting women together um, to, to not be the only chick on, in that space so that there is some viability and some support there uh, given the different engineering teams and we're you know boosting our strategy from from a recruiting perspective to support that yeah i gotta think the peer is a pretty important being on your own is tough yeah. as long as the peer works for you too that's you only get a choice of one it's kind of unfair too but we do seem to have some interesting new role models recently marissa meyer uh and um uh, meg whitman's been around for quite a while and any thoughts? Are these good role models? I think anytime <laughs> you have a, a woman in a leadership role, specifically at a technology company, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I've read Lean In, so we have Sheryl Sandberg's book, yep. um, and and I loved it. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with all of it, but I think that it called out some really, really important things that. Yes, as I was growing up, I was called bossy, where my male peers were called, you know, leaders. And and I think a lot of it is the way that we talk to children and that we genderize a lot of our conversations. Mm -hmm. I think a big thing as well is it's important for us to sit and, you know, have awareness about it and discuss the issues and, and find ways to support, but it's just as important for the men in the field to actually have an awareness and recognition of it and to actually be vocal and participatory in changing things. Um, because again, you know, just the nature of women talking about women's issues 
shuts down a lot of progress a lot of times, unfortunately. Mm. And so we need the men in the field uh, to sit on panels and discuss it as well. So thank you for doing hey, this. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I have particularly enjoyed the great controversy of working at home, the Marissa Meyer controversy that she instigated, because a lot of people kind of assumed that, oh, she's a woman. She must be completely in favor of okay, flexible for, time. For those who don't know, what is the controversy? What is this short story uh, here? So the, the short version of this is that there was a lot of working at home going on at Yahoo, right? Apparently quite a lot of working at home. And she pulled it back in. I don't know if she completely eliminated it, but she, she in, you know, shortly after attaining a leadership position there and moving in there, she said, hey, you guys got to start coming into the office. And it was not an immediately popular thing, because I don't know if you guys work at home a lot, but adding a commute on when you're used to not having a commute is kind of a big deal. Not having to put pants on. <laughs> having, to put, <laughs> having to put shoes on yeah. as well, ideally. We're you know, ladies, so we us, can put on a skirt. Never <laughs> works yeah. for you. I'm a big working homer. I come to a conference, my feet are sore from wearing shoes for three days. It's weird. But, <laughs> but what, I, what I enjoyed about this was that you know, she she made a decision based on reasons that she thought were good, not not based on a stereotype of what she would be in favor of. I just liked the conversation that came up around it, frankly, because yeah. she was making a decision as a leader. And that was what it was about. So I thought it was great whether or not I like working from home. Yeah, I do like working from home. Well, and I it, love it seemed like Yahoo had a problem with productivity around that. Right. That had nothing to do with gender. And she made the call she had to make. And it's but. If it, it had been a man who had never said that, a, no. never would have come up. Never would have come up. But because it was Marissa Meyer, it was it made news. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And those are the those are the things that you have to be aware of. Because and and again, having conversations like this, next time somebody's challenged, you're going to be like, okay, really, why is that being challenged? And and you'll evaluate the situation a bit differently. So I think those are important things that are brought to the table. So what is, what is a good male contribution to dealing with this issue? I mean, we, and we've just basically stuck to this. Do we just have to have awareness? What is there more to be done? If, you, if you're a man in the workplace working with very few women, do you, is there a way to make a positive contribution? Does it make it creepy? Or is there a way to be aware of what you're actually thinking and saying and the impact that you're having? I don't think it makes it creepy. I think it makes it smart business. Mm -hmm. um, for men who are in positions of power and leadership in a business to not support the idea of women in the workforce and women contributing to their bottom line, we're missing out on a successful business model. We're missing out on a successful group of individuals contributing to the success and, and, and creativity of your business. Um, you know, the idea of group think is pervasive in engineering and if, and men are the people that are in positions of power in a lot of engineering organizations. If you want your business to be better, diversify your team and, you know, be open to that. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity right now for people to be allies and to be vocal about being allies. Mm -hmm. I Plus mean, one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there are very overt things. Um, you know, if you are in a position of hiring or assembling teams or anything like that, almost demanding diversity, gender diversity and other diversity as part of the team um, is a good place to start. And it, it shouldn't 
you know, the argument is it'll be a better team. <laughs> you know, it's not even just taking a stand against women mm. kind of thing. Mm. Is, issues. It's a, it's a better team. It's a better way to work. I think also for men who have children, <laughs> um, that is a huge, huge, huge opportunity. And I would say not only for men with daughters and how you instill what you instill in them, but men with sons. <laughs> um, I have two boys and it's as important to have these conversations and bring the awareness to the little boys in classrooms because like the, right. the little boy who said, you shouldn't be in science. I'm sorry. He wasn't born with that. Yep. Right. I mean, that he's, was installed. Right. Yes. It was absolutely taught and probably not overtly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so being very aware of those kinds of issues with your sons and daughters um, is a, is a really important place to start as well. I think that in the workplace, you can be open to w women's opinions um, I've had situations where I've, I felt like I lacked credibility because of my gender, where if I'm working on a team of all men, I'm the one that is, um, I don't know, it felt like my opinions were less valid and whether that was an opinion that was um, pushed forward by the men that I was working with or just my own perceived opinions, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think just being open and welcoming is a great first start. I think understanding that many women don't do the fake it till you make it that was discussed in the video is actually yeah. key. I tend to be very confident in the domain of things I know about. And I don't, I don't experience problems working with men in the workplace at all. I am respected. I have great relationships with them. The piece of advice I have is listen for the people who are quieter. And this goes for men as well as women. Listen, listen for the people who aren't quite as confident in their domain because many of them may not have learned the kind of show confidence and you'll get there mm. technique, and you may have to leave a little room for them to be able to talk a little more. I also wonder how many of the metrics that we currently use for confidence are male biased. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> well, you talk about the GPA thing, which is totally that male, you know, I must get the perfect mark all of the time kind of mindset. The, the sort of uh, zero-sum game approach to things. I'm thinking back to a research paper I read, I think it came up on another panel we did a while back, where they uh, would hand uh, both men and women these resumes, this is your skill set, and then show them jobs. Which job would you apply for? And if a man had three of the skills of the ten listed, he would apply for the job on average, and, and women it was until they had seven. Interesting. And it's just, if that sort of speaks to a response difference, it means you've got a metric differently. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Do you, you buy that? Does that ring true to you? That That's how you react to things? I, I do. I find that I myself am less hesitant to do the fake it till I make it thing. But the interesting thing is that as a consultant, when I'm going into a place to figure out what's wrong and how to fix it, I do also know to listen, especially to the people who may not be as confident or as loud as the other people, because the quieter people are inevitably who I will find the truth from. To you. They're the people who may not be the people who are faking it or saying, I could totally do that no matter what, or I know exactly what's going on here. You have to wait incentive. for telltale comments from them, and then you're kind of like, ah, I see how this really works. Yeah. They don't have the incentive to get, out, get in there. and yeah. They aren't putting on a show right. as much. 
So folks, we're down to about the last uh, 15, 20 minutes of this. If you have any questions, you can throw up your hand or run to the microphone here so we can get you on the recording and uh, ask your question. We have a question from the audience. My name is John. I am a senior software engineer by trade. Uh, first, a quick comment, then a quick question. Quick comment, uh, my undergraduate is in computer science and my master's degree is in software engineering. And to Richard's comment, those are two very different fields with two very different ways of thinking. Absolutely. So they are not the same and they need to change. That's number one. Mm. My second question for the whole panel, and this is about sort of computer science in general, technology in general, is over the time that I've been in my professional career for roughly about 11, 12 years, I have seen a generation grow up that become very good at being computer users, technology users. While at the same time, people have less and less of an interest in learning how to build it. Why is that? What are your thoughts? Just in general, the generational thing you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. It's very obvious to me that that, yeah, the kids that I know have no interest in, unless it's robots. I have some thoughts on this, but I want the panel to, to take it on first. I agree. Well, I think it kind of goes back, and we touched a little bit on it, um, we see that in classes too when we go in and talk about them. It's almost like it's been in their hands since day one that they don't understand, you know, like when we came up, you had to program something to make it work so you could use it, right? Like yep. it was a full package kind of thing. <laughs> um, today, when you're born, you're given a phone and it just becomes what, you know, an extension of yourself. And I don't think that there's an awareness that there is actually work to be done behind that. And I think that's a very overt, like, talking point with kids. Because when you say that to them, like, somebody has to build this. They're like, what? It doesn't just grow that way? <laughs> and and <laughs> um, so I think that's really a big portion of it. It's that it's not something new <laughs> for people. It's just an extension of them. And so that understanding isn't there. I don't know if anybody else has any other. My first thought that was maybe it was the Terminator movies and people were afraid of the, <laughs> nice. afraid of the, ra the rising machines. <laughs> but I do think you're right. I think it's about... Seeing, seeing how stuff gets made and getting your hands on it early on. Mm -hmm. I, I, seeing the process. The best description I've ever heard of this is the immigrant versus native principle. That all of us are all immigrants yes. to computing. Because we remember a time before. And so it is inherently novel to us. And mm. our children are all natives. It is not novel to them. And it, what really crystallized it for me was remembering my grandmother freaking out every time I opened the refrigerator. Because she remembered a time before refrigerators. So her entire life, a fridge was a big deal. And it never was to me because I always had one. Mm -hmm. And for my kids, computers aren't a big deal. They've always had them. I actually had a kid tell me once, well, why should I spend so much effort of my brain power to figure out how to do something that somebody's already done? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing cooler than that that I could make. Why, why bother? It's interesting. I have interviewed so many hundreds of engineers, and I hear, oh, you know, I took my Commodore 64 apart, and my dad was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got into computers, and I think they're so cool. You don't think that your seven-year-old who's holding on to their iPad is just going to, like, take it apart one day, no. right? Like, it, it's not as, it, it's just not something that they think of because they're, they're not in that same vein anymore. I'm also hoping that, the wearable technology maybe changes that 
Um, we've been using cell phones and computers now for a few years that, yeah, they take it for granted, but here's this brand new technology that all of these ideas and concepts can be still created for and kind of giving them that innovative space to go in and create, I think will help. It really is the area where the creativity in technology really comes into play because where it usually spurs is that somebody wants to create a different character that isn't doing exactly what they want them to do or something in Minecraft and how, how, how do I make this do what I want? It's kind of the same concept, but, and then introducing the tools there to say like, okay, you're not going to learn how to code. You're going to learn how to make that character. You know, that's why a lot of these like scratch and different things like that right. as intro tools are really interesting. And from a psychology standpoint and everything else, they're very interesting because it's how do you animate the cat across the screen? It's not how do you sit down and code in animation? Um, so I think there's opportunities in more of those things. I want to figure out how to make all of my portals in Ingress pink. <laughs> so, <laughs> if anyone wants to collaborate on that, that's where it starts. <laughs> Asynchronous thumbs up to all. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We have another question from the audience. My name is John. In terms of universities and colleges, how do they get more women to be interested in those programs that they just kind of, when they come in as a freshman, that's not something that they're thinking of. And maybe at that point, is it too late to, to reach out to uh, those children at that point? Uh, does something need to be done earlier? Or can, can a university or college kind of grab that, that opportunity there? It's never too late. Um, I, I studied math in undergrad and never considered technology a possible field, but somehow found my way into it. But I think that starting earlier gets you better results. Um, so, I mean, even as we look at our education system here in America, and not to open that can of worms, but why are we not teaching more engineering or computer science-y type things within schools? Like, that in itself is the question that we need to be addressing. And I think that engaging people at that younger age, yes, that's going to help. We need to do that. And I think that's what we're all here trying to do. Um, but it's not too late at that college level, and they just need to continue to um, have those classes and engage women in them. I think cross-discipline courses is key. So introducing technology into the design school because someone has to build what they design and, you know, technology classes into business and, and really break down the silos of our education because ultimately that's how we work and operate. Nobody works only within and only with people that know what they know too. So I think that's an opportunity as well for exposure. Another question. This is kind of a comment slash question. Um, we've been talking about getting kids interested in science, technology, engineering, mathematics. We've been talking about how we give them electronics as soon as they're old enough to hold them. My three-year-old uh, nieces can operate my iPad some days better than I can. <laughs> I think one of the fundamental changes I've seen is just even since I was a kid, and I'm not that old, I confess, um, we got toys that encouraged things like building. We got Lego sets. We got science kits. We got electronics building kits. When is the last time someone in this room bought those things for their children or nieces or nephews or grandchildren? 
I, last year for Christmas, all the nieces and nephews got electronics kits and solar system kits, and for the ones that weren't going to burn the house down, the science kits. <laughs> there was only one of them. Um, so I think part of it just becomes each of us in the room has to say, okay, we have to pull that in. In addition to that, besides just the hands-on stuff, there are a ton of resources out there for teaching kids programming. First Lego League, that's one of them that we've talked about. It gets kids involved at an early age. But even if someone doesn't have that program available to them, um, what are other resources online? Like I know Lynn Langett, and I can't remember the name of her program, but there are other things like that. So what other tools do we have to get kids involved? Yeah, we teach kids to program. It's Lynn's program. And that's actually on Plural site as well for free. Kodu, Scratch, those are good things. Just wanted to kind of, as a, as a female who has a computer science degree, wanted to share with you, you know, my, my, my role model was my mother. My mother happens to be a mechanical engineer. She taught trigonometry. I mean, she was basically um, a pioneer in her field. Um, she made me sign up for um, drafting and mechanical drafting in high school, and, and that was really, I was the only girl in there. So when I got to college and took computer science and there were other women, that was huge, yeah. Um, so just the fact that you're out there and giving these girls and, and, and women the support that they need. I mean, if, if, if girls have mothers who support them, that's huge. I mean, that is just super huge. But the fact that you're out there and you're supporting these women is just, that's the best you can do. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and there is a, I've read a couple of pieces about the direct correlation of the education level of children relative to the education level of, of their mothers, more, far more so than their fathers, right. but that seems to be the main thing, that mothers have an incredible amount of clout in how educated their children become. Another question. Hi, uh, what if you're a latecomer to development? Uh, I am a, already a woman in technology, but I'm an audio engineer in a post-production house. Because of a need and an interest, I'm moving more into development and I'm just trying to find the right steps to do that. I'm here. I'm going to be taking some continuing education classes. I already have an idea of what our first app is going to be that helps within the post-production house. But um, there's a lot of great ideas to get kids in there, but I'm 32, and I'm like, I'm not really going to go back to school and spend thousands of dollars when I'm trying to figure the right way to do that. There are tons of resources out there. Um, I know one is Women Who Code. Go online and Google whatever language you might want to learn, and you're going to find a free website that has all of those resources. Um, so just be open to going online and teaching yourself. I would also suggest hosting some type of like meetup with other people in your community that either know the language or are looking to learn it, because it can really help to learn things with other people. Um, that's what we're doing in Girls in Tech with Minneapolis, is how can we host more of these like intermediate learning type sessions? Um, if I go to a beginner's course, I feel like that's... Uh, too easy for me and not enough of the content. And if I go to these user groups, it's a little like way too technical for me. Um, so I'm looking for something in the middle and it seems like that would be something similar for you. So just reach out and understand who else is looking to learn that type of stuff. I think hackathons are also a great place to meet people and network and grow your skills. It's usually, you know, there's a wide range of experiences that usually will be at a hackathon if you yeah, don't one. be afraid of a hackathon. Yeah. I, I, we just ran one this weekend here and consistently having a junior person with a senior person produces better results. So we need you. So okay. I have like, a question. Really valuable. What is the minimum skill set required to attend a hackathon? Uh, 
I think enthusiasm and some comfort with a mouse is about as much as you actually need. Because, you know, the magic of pair program, which is generally how we do everything in a hackathon, is having two pairs of eyes on a problem. And the more different those eyes are, the better you do. That's why the junior-senior thing helps so much. And if you want an amazing experience of just working alongside someone who's probably going to code pretty fast, but you're going to be part of that process, it's a great way to go. Also, I would add, as an audio engineer myself, if you're interested in a library and .NET is your platform of choice, and audio is a very comprehensive uh, audio library for uh, for programming, and it's high level. You can do a lot of stuff just with some simple C sharp. And it does think net. like an audio person. Yeah. You'll you'll get it. Okay. So I have a, I have a question for you. Are you on Twitter? Yes. Okay. So Twitter has been a great resource for me to problem solve and learn more about things. And you could get the Twitter addresses of everyone on this panel, including the audio expert. But anytime you have a problem you're trying to solve and learn more about, use Twitter as your greatest resource. Because if one of the people you're connected with doesn't know the answer, you can put out a call for, is there a hashtag I can use where it'll help me answer this? Or do you know someone who's an expert on this? I've gotten such great, great feedback from Twitter, which continuously surprises me what people can fit into <laughs> very short sentences over the years. I tweeted once about wanting to learn more about low energy Bluetooth. And within the week, I had a one-on-one -on -one session with someone who was an expert in low energy Bluetooth. So yeah, just reach out. Oh, by the way, you're not alone. There are other women <laughs> here at this conference that are new to computing. Yeah, yeah I hope you'll find them. Um, th I have to say, this this is great because, you know, when I walked in this morning and I saw the swath of, like, all men, I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. It really just helps to connect with another with other women because uh, I am excited and I really want to do this, so it's it's great to be able to find Don't give up. Right. Awesome. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> One more question. I have a question and a comment. I'm going to start with a comment. Um, so in businesses, I think part of the model that they're missing in terms of perspective is and I'm going to come at this from a writing perspective. I'm not in the tech community. Um, in writing, we're often telling new writers that they shouldn't give everything from the perspective of what you can see, what your character can see, that if you do that, you're missing the other five senses. So what they can smell, what they can taste, what they can touch, all of those. So you're missing 80% of that view. If you're not involving women in your um, tech community, then you're missing half of your conversation and how much more that program could do if you had that other side. My question is um, do you see sort of a, a way to build creativity into the market for... So as a, as a female, when I look at the tech community, I'm missing a creativity aspect where I could go, oh, I can see how I can make that better just because I'm a creative thinker, I think, outside the box. And I don't... I guess I don't see that when uh, problems are presented or when the tech community is presented. Do you see a way of incorporating that as a selling point for women? I believe in that. Okay. I certainly think I advocated it for the hackathon. Uh, but it is it is something folks have to sort of get their head around the idea that different viewpoints are actually valuable to solve problems. Okay. And uh, gender tends to lend a different viewpoint. Thank you. I think something that um, she she makes the point around the, the different ways that people approach problem solving and the way that they can communicate around that. And I think something that... Um, we need to address to bring more women into engineering is just that very idea of the approach to problems are different and the communication around that can look very different.
but it doesn't mean that you're lowering a bar or you know, moving a bar, it, it just means that it's coming from a completely different approach and inspiring people as a, as a tech community to support that approach and the, that diversity of thought is really important. And I think you'll see that, um, supporting your creativity a little more. And I think that for every very creative person, there's a not so creative engineer that could use a counterpart. Um, so again, just reach out and learn what other people are doing and figure out how you can help out. And with that, a big round of applause for our panelists. Thank you for coming tonight. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks! Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a